Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book 41, which was 1989's Lullaby. And it's a complicated tale of some drugs and some murders and some psychiatrists and some uh, cholesterol, let's say. <laughs> which, yeah, so you'll know all this because you'll have listened to the main episode. Because if you hadn't, that would be weird if you were listening to this. Otherwise, I don't know. Unless you just like the sound of people describing book covers, which you might do. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Which we'll do straight away, as usual. We'll we'll dig into the book covers before we get into our our look at other stuff in 1989. And I've sent these through. So I wonder if, Steve-O, you could describe the US hardback edition, which is the first William Morrow and Co. published one. The red one. It's very red, yes. Yeah, with just blocky... Yeah, it's very... 1980s looking blocky uh, 3D writing in white and yellow with lullaby Ed McBain and then so in handwriting the new 87th precinct novel so yeah no attempt at anything on that so naught out of 10 <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm with you on that it's yeah a new publisher and this is their first one out in hardback and that's what they do Unless I've my research has missed something more artistic, I would say this is possibly one of the worst by simply lack of... Right, hang fire. I'm going to go to my bookcase. I'll be back in a minute. Oh, right. He's, he's, <laughs> this is a very unusual circumstance. <laughs> Who did you say was the, uh, uh, the publisher for that one? William Morrow and Co. William Morrow. Oh, no. See, I've got a whole heap of John D. McDonald's which aren't that dissimilar to that. Uh, All right, okay. So I was just wondering whether it was the same, but this is Ballantine. All right, okay. Uh, But I suspect these are like 80s kind of 90s US paperbacks. That kind of school Uh, of design. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would stand out on a on a on a bookcase shelf, like in a shop, because it's it so just blocky red background. But yeah, just doesn't tell you anything about the book at all, does it? No. Yeah. I'll let you describe the next one then, Morgan, which should be should on the list be the U.S. paperback edition, which is uh, still Avon Books. So is Ed McBain in in uh, the white lettering apart from the C of the McBain that's sort of worked in between the M and the B, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting little bit of design. Um, lullaby made out in what I assume would have been embossed kind of uh, gold uh, letter in there, although that copy is looking a little bit worse for wear. Um, and it's just a bit of a sort of New York street, I guess, is it? Some kind of yeah. brownstone buildings in the sort of late 80s looking car out front and that's, that's about it really um a nice little uh quote from uh, joseph wambo on there as well yeah and it's clearly published after vespers comes out in hardback so because uh, it's best-selling author of vespers of course yeah. so yeah but yeah it's again it's nothing to do with the plot is it so not really no i will describe the uk hardback which is i don't know what color you'd describe that mainly as it's sort of not brown, not beige, not fawn. It's sort of, oh, I don't know, what is it anyway? So but, it's beige. Yeah, it's... It's, it's beige isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's on the beige spectrum, let's yeah. say. 
But it says Ed McBain in big blocky letters at the top, Lullaby in big blocky letters beneath that, and 87th Precinct Novel, and then it has a, a photograph of a gun to the face of someone who's sleeping, of a lady who's sleeping, which is, to be fair, more or less reflective of one scene in the book. It is. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that homicide at all, but in our defence, it wasn't one that's investigated by the 87th no. Precinct, so... Um, well done, that was a good get out, that one. Uh, <laughs> That's the only reason why we didn't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, technicality. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's all right. It's It could be any crime book, really, could, with that design. It is quite beige as well, which is not in yeah. its favour. And the last of the first uh, editions that we're going to look at is the uh, the final pan paperback edition, which is also the one that I've got. Yeah, same here. I've got that one as well. So, so me and Steve have got this one, and we'll ask Morgan to describe his mad edition in a second. <laughs> but this is basically a little sort of pink teddy bear in a cot with McBain in, in big gold lettering rather than a gold stripe. It's, I mean, it's still a Colin Thomas cover photograph. More conceptual than anything else. Oh, I've just noticed on the spine of it, it says McBain lullaby, and it's got a zoomed-in close-up picture of the teddy bear's eye, which, yeah. if you didn't know it was a teddy bear's eye on the side, looks like a boil or something <laughs> something rather medical. I think the, the teddy bear's eye is an odd detail as well, because of this bright glowing red eye. It looks like it's a novel about a haunted teddy bear, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. See, I didn't think that... I, the one that I've got, which is that, would be the best of these four, but I, th- I think it probably is. As it turns is. out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you might well be right. Uh, so before we uh, get into a, a quick round of huffing, uh, as is required by um, Hark Podcast Law, Morgan, can you tell us what your edition is then? You've, well, you alluded to it in the main podcast of it being a, a compilation. Yeah, so it's 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 an omnibus edition of, of Lullaby with Vespers and, and Widows. So for once, actually a, an omnibus that makes sense, like three in a yeah. row. Um, it's it's uh, Orion. Um, I was just having a look, and it doesn't actually tell me what year it came out, which is, is really helpful. But it's a bit, big old brick of a book. Uh, the front cover, it's uh, just... Edmund Bain in kind of big blocky orange letters and then a a sort of grainy photograph, again, New York kind of street scene, I think uh, taken from the base of the Brooklyn Bridge by the looks of things. It's okay. quite a nice photo. It doesn't really tell you anything about any of the, the novels, but I guess since it's trying to cover three books, it wouldn't want to do anything too specific. Yeah, you see, they've got a reason there for being vague. Yeah. What I did mean to say is mean to say about it uh, before is that it does have um, a specially written introduction for, for for this particular omnibus, which I should probably have mentioned beforehand. Oh right, so what's what does that uh, tell us about the stuff that in it? Well, he's just just sort of saying that. Um, I mean, I, I, what I'll do is I'll I'll take some pictures so you can see it, and I'll I'll share it with you in case you want to pop it up on the Twitter or anything Will or do. the Instagram, but. Uh, when it was suggested they were released in one volume, he recalls thinking that the three novels were of a piece, a seamless trilogy that marked a particularly dark time in the annals of the 87th Precinct. Whether or not this coincided with a somewhat bleak era in the history of New York City is a matter for conjecture. Isola, of course, is not New York. Um, and then he <laughs> uh, goes on to, to discuss what life was like in New York at the time. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. I will will share that with you because it's it's yeah. a bit of an insight into those three books. 
And possibly as he's recovering from having had a heart attack, that might have coloured his view of things as well. He might have been feeling very down and not happy and... You know all the all the sort of um, psychological stuff mm-hmm. that comes after you've had a, a particular type of illness like that. Absolutely, yeah. So that might all factor in. Oh, that's interesting, though. Well, uh, Steve, do you want to give it a little uh, a little huff? Yeah. Well, mine. This edition of mine, I'm only get. It looks as though it's very pungent, and I'm just giving it a very <laughs> gentle one. Uh, very musty. This. It's got like a discoloured pages a bit. So yeah. That, that's me done there. Yeah, I, oh, I, that was yeah. It's very pungent, so I'm not, I'm not going very close to this. You're not, you're not going deep with no, that. No, it might be a new strain of COVID come out of this book. If it's, uh, thus until now, not been no, no, no. Well, if it can get all those Danish mink, oh, absolutely, yeah. Let's. Well, I'll I'll check mine. Mine's uh, mine's fine. Mine's a fairly new, uh, uh, untouched copy. Really, it's uh, yeah. So, Morgan, you all have to do the pages within the bit of the omnibus because then you see whether its odour changes as you move through. (laughs) Well, it it may well do because I think the original owner appears to have spilt some water on the the, the sort of upper part of the book. So the bit with Lullaby in actually is slightly water damaged. So it might be a bit more (laughs) acrid than the, the rest of it. Let's see. That's disappointingly bland, actually. There's there's not much going on there. Washed, washed clean. Oh, there you go. That's the uh, that's the bizarre thing of uh, book smelling out of the way. What I'd <laughs> like you both to do is I sent you an extra picture as well. Ooh. Oh yeah. Of a copy of the mugger. So something that uh, was mentioned to me when I, I said we were doing this book is um, our friend Hank Wellman mentioned that uh, when he got his edition that it also came with, wrapped in shrink wrap, the mugger. Mm. So, yeah, it came with a paperback copy of the mugger with this really bizarre front cover on it. So clearly when William Morrow and co. took over the publishing, they decided to reissue this old one as a bonus thing. Uh, so, yeah, I looked, up the, I looked up the design and, I mean, it doesn't really serve the book particularly well, Not I don't particularly, think. particularly, no. Yeah, it's just red like the uh, lullaby is and it just says bonus book for 87th precinct fans a bit like this is bonus podcast for hark fans you see <laughs> yes <laughs> so there you go yeah it's got no no art on the front just says best-selling author of lullaby the mugger and then a couple of pull quotes from elmore leonard uh, newsweek and the, the washington post uh, the washington post quote being simply the best which could have come from anything really in terms of tina turner simply the best (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) given how much it's been his stuff's been reviewed in quite uh you know and praised quite a bit by gene m white over the years you'd have thought uh, they'd be able to get something a bit more specific than that but hey ho (laughs) right let's get uh get our heads back into uh, 1989 and let's have a little look at the charts from when this was copyright registered at the end of january and uh, I'm not going to make you guess because we'll be here forever because it's bonkers. <laughs> so let's, let's deal with the top 10 of the UK uh, uh, from 10 to, to 1. And you can give me your thoughts on this. Number 10 is Wait by Robert Howard and Kim Maisel. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> no, doesn't ring any bells with I've, me. I've forgotten. Completely. It's odd, really, because I've been watching quite a lot of Top of the Pops as it's me been too. repeated from this period. And I, I don't remember quite a lot of no. these. 
that one's gone. I don't remember Erasure doing an EP called Crackers International. Ah, yeah. <laughs> that I do remember. Although I can't remember what songs are on it. So, yeah, which is a strange name. Uh, a band called Ten City doing That's the Way Love Is. <laughs> However, I do remember this, as we all do, and we still hold dear to our hearts. Kylie and Jason with Especially For You. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan, two soap stars from Neighbours, who became big singing stars. Kylie's just had a new album out this past week, I think. I think she has, she, yes. Yeah. Uh, Jason Donovan not forthcoming with new material at the moment. Oh, well, he, he does... Um chocolate adverts doesn't he i know he did he did like a one-man show with sort of songs and anecdotes and things a, a while ago um, yeah. he might still be doing that yeah so kylie kylie sort of matured and uh, along with her audience hasn't she and, and bought in a new audience and reinvented herself and mm. i think jason donovan has, has sort of gone oh i'm i'm a bit of the nostalgia act i'll, I'll play yeah. up to that a little bit and, and i'm sure it's working out for him yeah i'm sure he's doing fine uh, number six in the charts, you've got She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannonballs. Marvellous. Good old gift. pop song, that. Yep. We've got Holly Johnson at number five doing Love Train. Oh, yeah. So Holly Johnson's a local lad from Liverpool, isn't he? So what have we got? Number four, Roachford doing Cuddly Toy oh, 1989. Stormer. <laughs> yeah. And then at number three in January of 1989, we've got the hip happening up and coming, rising new star Roy Orbison. <laughs> we drove all it. night. No, you got it. Oh. What a tune! Yeah, it's an excellent tune, isn't it? You know, it's part of the uh, the DNA of the Travelling Wilburys. That song, isn't it? So. Absolutely. We've got the Living Years is at number two by <sighs> Mike and the Mechanics. <laughs> uh, one of the worst songs ever written. Uh. <laughs> oh, well, the done. Living Years. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> when the kids' choir comes in, oh, oh. god! <laughs> I was, I was, I didn't expect to have to give you counselling after this, but you know. <laughs> but let's see what's at number one. Well, it's another hip happening young upcoming star, Gene Pitney, with oh, Mark Almond doing something's gotten hold of my heart. Fantastic. Which was a hit for Gene Pitney. Back in the 60s? Yes. And then he's redone it with uh, with Mark Almond alongside him. So that was the UK charts. A mix of uh, some great pop, some horrible middle-of-the-road stuff, <laughs> and uh, a couple of old sort of uh, classic stars doing, you know, pretty good stuff for the charts yep. at the time. Dang right. In America, from 10 to 1, we will go. Phil Collins with two hearts on its way out of the charts at this point. At number nine, Tiffany with All This Time. I don't remember that one. No, I don't think that hit over here, did it? No, no. We basically had, I think we're alone now, and that was it, wasn't it, really? Uh, number eight is Don't Rush Me by Taylor Dane. Nope. <laughs> number seven, The Way You Love Me by Karen White. No. But um, hold on to your trousers for number six. It's Armageddon It by Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a ridiculous play on words! Yeah, I don't really know. But are you get? Are, are you getting it? Uh, am I getting it? Then you. <laughs> it's yeah. Did they play that when we saw them live? Oh, would they have done? Is that on Hysteria? It is. Hmm. They probably did. 
Well, they must have done, yes. Yeah, it's certainly not one of my favourites because no. it's very boring and there's stupid lyrics. <laughs> but seemed to uh, get into the top ten of the US charts anyway. Well, I was just thinking it can't because, yeah, well, yeah, so they're still releasing singles two years after the album They released came out. nearly all of the album as a single, didn't they? I, I think yeah. in the end there were like, like seven singles from it or something daft when there is ridiculous crazy them. Yeah. Uh, R- rocket was a single in 89 as well wasn't it it, it, it did keep coming yeah. well we move up to number five where it's wild thing by tone oh, tone loke yeah tone loke is that how we pronounce it is it yeah okay <laughs> is that just a cover of wild thing um it's it's i think the chorus of wild thing with some rapping Oh, no, I remember it, yeah. yeah. I remember that now. Okay, uh, number four, Born to Be My Baby by Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, not not one of their best. No. Number New three Jersey. is When when the Children Cry by White Lion. Oh, God. It's, more, it's sort of pop, pop metal kind of poodle rock. <laughs> There's plenty of that in 1989, definitely. Yeah, particularly in the States, I think. Yeah, not the white lion that appears on stage with Siegfried and Roy. I don't think so. Releasing a single <laughs> on the side. You've got to do something in the off-season. Uh, number two, Straight Up by Paula Abdul. Oh, what a song. Yeah, she did some great stuff, Paula Abdul. Yeah. And number one is When I'm With You by Sheriff. No, not no, a clue. Not a clue for me either. Sheriff. You just know it's going to be really, really bad, don't you? <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, anyway, that's a little snapshot of the uh, the, the music charts in 1989. Uh, it's it's a strange period. There's some amazing pop records in 1989 and that period that I remember very, mm. very clearly. Um, probably about the time I started actually paying attention to some of the stuff in the charts rather than just yeah. being snooty about it because I was a child who only loved the Beatles. <laughs> I mean... I'm obviously an adult who really only loves the Beatles, but it's just, uh, you know, there was some good stuff there. Yeah. It was the year that now that's what I call music 12 came out, which was a, a personal favourite of mine. <laughs> okay, well, let's consider what we could go to the movies and see. What do you reckon was in the top 10 grossing, highest grossing films of 89? Um, Back to the Future 2. Back to the Future Part 2, yeah, number three. Uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. That's what Number I would one. think. Mm. Yes, and we tip our hats to Sean Connery, I think, at the moment. Uh, Dear, Dear Departed. Um, there was a Bond film, wasn't there? Uh, which one was it? Licensed to, to Kill, kill I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't get into the uh, highest grossing films, though. Timothy Dalton years. And it's got such competition that... Uh, Karate Kid Part 3, was that there? Yeah. Uh, didn't get into the top My ten. Or it must have been a bloody amazing year. <laughs> well, well it, it, I'll tell you what, looking down the list of films for this year, like in preparation of this, there's some absolute bloody rip snorters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there is. Uh, there's, uh, there's certainly some that have troubled afternoon t- Saturday afternoon TV viewing oh, for, yeah. for a, a yeah, long time. Yeah, definitely. So let me run it down then. Uh, so number one, highest grossing film was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Number two was Batman. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. If, I don't know. If it was so good, why are they still making Batman films? I don't know. <laughs> we shall see. Then there'll be another one along uh, eventually. Yeah. Uh, with, with Liverpool as Gotham. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And um, 
only struck by global pandemic and it actually affecting the stars of the film as well while they're yeah. filming it. But number three was Back to the Future Part 2. Number four was Look Who's Talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, number five was Dead Poets Society. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is a film yeah, yeah. I know lots of people love. I have never seen. You've what? <laughs> I have seen it. I can't remember. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's not as bloody great as some people. Yeah. I watched it for the first, rewatched it for the first time in probably 20 years, like maybe earlier this year. I think it was on telly. All right. Um, it's quite good. Okay, Uh Number six is Lethal Weapon 2. All right, of course, yeah. Number seven is The Marvelous Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah, I went to the <laughs> cinema to see that. I think I probably did as well. Mm, it's good. Uh, I might be a rare family trip to the cinema, that one might have been. That's a proper bit of like old school filmmaking with the with because we're on the cusp of like CGI starting to take over, aren't we? So yeah. this is all prop based as well as anything. So I remember there being lots of publicity about that film. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Ghostbusters two. Oh, of course, yeah. Which I yeah. I like Ghostbusters two. Yeah, I think I went to the cinema. Is that the one uh, with the just... the painting? Yes. yes. Yeah, I, d- I definitely went to the cinema to yeah, see that. Yeah, I went to see that too. Uh, number nine is The Little Mermaid, which is sort of the start of Disney's rebirth as a, a massive ongoing concern, I think, from that point on, isn't it? Mm. After a bit of a funny decade. Uh-huh. Huge seller on video. Uh, number 10 is Born on the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. Uh, I noted down a couple of other films, and obviously we'll put our own picks in later as well. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure comes out <laughs> in uh, 1989, and they're still making them to this <laughs> to this day. <laughs> Uh, talking about CGI, The Abyss, oh, yeah, yeah. which is one of the first ones to really use CGI as, as uh, a key tool in its production. We've got Heathers. We've oh, got yeah. Uncle Buck. We've got The Burbs, which is great. Great fun. We've got the uh, Jerry Lee Lewis biopic, Great Balls of Fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a a big fan of, of music biopics, and by big fan, I mean <laughs> live horrified by. Um, we've got the film Santa Sangre by Jodorowsky, which I've never seen, but reads like as mad as everything else that Jodorowsky ever yeah, did. I'm sure. And there's a Godzilla film, which I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Morgan. Uh, Godzilla versus Biolanti. I don't think I have seen that one. No. Well, I think it's something like the 17th of the official yeah. Godzilla films, and he's fighting Biolante, who is a genetically engineered cross of Godzilla, Godzilla's genes spliced with human genes, and the genes of a rose. Sounds like, like a plant. Brilliant. Does sound good, doesn't it? I mean, I would watch it. <laughs> but yeah, there's some, there's some big hitters in there, isn't there? Anyway, we'll have to see what we've picked when we get there. <laughs> yeah, there's such a big range of type of because uh, there was loads of like franchise shite horror yeah. films still being churned out wasn't uh, there yeah yeah, Ooh, yeah jason takes manhattan <laughs> yes yeah. yeah which is what like number seven in the series or something that one at, at least yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you you didn't mention um uh, return of the three musketeers oh no i didn't yeah yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the film that uh, killed what's his face wasn't it uh, Roy Kinnear Roy Kinnear yeah, yeah he fell off a horse and died yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. The film Gosh. that killed Roy Kinnear. <laughs> says that on the DVD. You know, the yeah. Line, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. The film yeah, that it's, killed it's... Richard Lester's career. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love Dick Lester. For, I mean, he's the one who did, the, you know, the, the first two Beatles movies and quite a lot of, of really good comedies, but also, yeah, hmm. uh, perhaps getting towards diminishing returns by that point. Perhaps. But let's have a little look at some television debuts before we get onto our picks. So, because I mean, and again, I said this with in terms of like stuff happening in 1989 in the main episode. I could I could pick a billion things. There's so much going on and so much now that I remember personally as well. So I had to be very selective. So I've, I've whittled down the, the choice of debuts on TV to like the absolute finest handpicked things. So in America, for instance, we've got Quantum Leap starts. Whoa! So amazing, yeah. Yeah, that I've watched all of Quantum Leap a few times over, probably over the years on on TV. And I remember it starting. I remember when it first started in the UK as well. So, mm-hmm. so I think it was about a year later when it was just moved to Stoke. After, um, so anyway, personal memories there of okay. that on my little black and white telly. And also we have the animation Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh, yeah. Great theme song. Great theme song. And in fact, I did watch some of it on Disney Plus not long ago uh, in a fit of nostalgia. Hmm. However, Disney Plus does not have the animation Rude Dog and the Dweebs. No. Which began in 1989. Do you remember that? I, I mainly remember the name. I can't really remember anything at all about the the, uh, the show. Well, you know. He was a dog who ran a delivery firm. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and had the voice of Jack Nicholson, essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, very strange. But, uh, yeah. We have Baywatch. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, Mars Grubbs, yeah. So, it's, it's, yeah. It's no Baywatch night, though, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, no. And we have a little-known show called The Simpsons starts on uh, oh, syndication yeah. in 1989. Mm. Fantastic. Which, of course, is on Disney Plus as well now. Um, So in the UK, we have, I mean, a moment's silence, though, before the end of the original run of Doctor Who. Oh, right. So 1989 sees the end of the original run of uh, of Doctor Who, which had begun in 1963. So when did it start up again? Well, we have the TV movie in the middle of the 90s, and then it's not until... in the 2000s that we get it again so yeah. but yeah we end with uh, the last episode of survival with sylvester mccoy in 1989 fantastic but what else do we get on uk tv we get the adaptation of marjorie allingham's campion stories with peter davison an ex-doctor oh, yeah. who himself playing those very good those are mystery adaptations and we also get something else that i know well certainly steve and i like very much which is the agatha christie's Poirot adaptation start in 1989 all oh, right yeah yeah so they're still repeated ad nauseum, which is great because you will always sit and watch them <laughs> usually. <laughs> we get hard-hitting drama in the form of Biker Grove. Oh, now you're yeah. talking. <laughs> Would someone like to describe Biker Grove for our overseas listeners? Well, it was set in a youth club in Biker, which is part of Newcastle. Yes. Um and I will refrain from doing an accent, but there's lots of people <laughs> with thick regional accents. And a guy yeah. with called Jeff with highly unusual facial hair. Yeah. 
It was a, it was the children's drama slot, wasn't it? Essentially, it was the oh, live action yeah. drama after your cartoons and stuff. But uh, yeah. pretty northern drama, it certainly Fantastic. was. That had quite a good theme tune as well. Did uh, we also have the dramatic challenge Annika? Oh, that was good. Used to enjoy yeah. that. Which was uh, TV presenter Annika Rice being set challenges, which involved her running around the country having been in a helicopter. I can't remember what the challenges actually were, but uh, it was very compelling. And I feel sorry for the poor cameraman out to lug a, a, what is comparative to today, a massive camera around, also running after her. Yeah, it used to have to blag a load of building materials to yeah. build some dog kennels or something like that. Yeah, it was, like yeah, it was all, all community community projects, wasn't it? That kind of thing. So, the, yeah, they'd be, they'd be given like a week, wouldn't they, to do something. And she basically had to blag everything. They were quite... I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that repeated on television, actually. Yeah. It might be on one of these channels like, um, was it called Challenge? There's a channel called No, Challenge. I would have seen that if uh, I, keep my, <laughs> I, I keep my eyes peeled on their schedules, I'll tell you. Oh, right, okay. so, yeah. so basically, it's a program that's been made entirely redundant by the invention of the internet anyway. <laughs> that's true. Well, it would just you... be her sitting there with a smartphone, though, wouldn't it, I'd yeah. imagine? You say that, but doesn't What's-His-Chops do some similar programs? Um, the guy who brought the album out. Um, What's-His-Chops? Nick, Nick Knowles. Uh, Nick, oh, yeah, yeah. He, that's definite Nick Knowles territory this, this day and age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, This is totally isolating anyone who's not from the UK now and knows <laughs> who these people are. Anyway, let's move on to at least one more very significant British television programme that debuts in 1989, and that is Bodger and Badger. Oh, oh God. Well, yeah. Which was uh, a man, Bodger, a badger, Badger, who was a, a puppet, and lots of mashed potato. Yes. Yeah. Well, everybody knows that Bodger loves mashed potato, you're supposed badger to say. Mash- yeah. Bodger yeah. loves mashed potato. Bodger. Oh, Badger, sorry. Yeah. Well, he... Ma- makes it into shapes and eats it every day. Bodger was... Uh, uh, annoyed by the quantity. Everybody knows. I had a little friend who was a mouse. <laughs> so there you go. That's what we were watching. All those, all those things there, and a little nod to um, our friends in Australia. Hello, Australian friends who would have been watching the debut of the program Pugwall. Do you remember Pugwall at all? No. That was a, a kids sort of. Uh, live-action comedy-drama type thing. It was shown over here. It was about a kid called Pugwall. Oh, that was his sort of nickname, who was forming a band in the summer holidays. So it was one of these ones that would be shown on on British TV in the summer holidays. I seem to remember it being quite enjoyable Hmm. in that sort of strange way that Australian things seem very familiar, but also quite odd as well to to us. And I noticed... (laughs) I noted this name down... I couldn't find any information on it, and I refused to look any further than beyond where I found the name of this. And I'm assuming this is an animation, but if any of our Australian listeners remember this, please let me know. It's called Happy Hatch Day to Plasmo. <laughs> it's making me imagine all sorts of things. So Happy Hatch Day to Plasmo. If anyone knows anything about that, please get in touch. And uh, our, our Canadian friends had the introduction of the animation Barber the Elephant. Oh, that was, that was, that was good, yeah. Yeah, that was on over here. Yeah, I like I like that. Barber the elephant, yeah, quite nice animation and that. Yeah, and cool. one of one of my favourite programmes of all time, the kids in the hall starts in in Canada in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, which the is what? An, the kids in the hall sketch show. All right. 
It's absolutely brilliant. It used to be on Channel 4 late at night in the UK, and it's, oh, it's very anarchic. And, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. So, let's get to our own picks as we round out this episode. And I think I will go to Morgan first to reveal what he's chosen as his film and album for 1989. Okay. Um, Yeah, film-wise, actually, I was going to go for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but since you've already mentioned that, I feel like I probably shouldn't. I I do love the Bill and Ted movies, though. They're They're great, yeah. Yeah. um, Among the few things that I could probably quote sort of word for word all the way through Hmm. pretty much as a child but um since we've already touched on that uh i think i will pick uh, do the right thing oh right uh, the spike lee movie yes yeah yeah um, which is is pretty tremendous i haven't seen it for years actually but i believe it's on netflix so i think i'm definitely due a rewatch yeah i've not um, seen that for a very very long time and i don't think i was sort of I don't think I deliberately sat down to watch it when I did last see it as well. So I must, uh, I must watch it again and give it its attention. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. I, I, I don't. I think it took him a long time to come up with anything else that was quite that effective. But um, yeah, it's it's a, a fairly amazing movie. That cool. And uh, your album pick. Album wise, uh, I am definitely going for um, Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. Yay! It's an album that I enjoy so much that I've, I've bought it twice because I think I've, I've either wore out or lost my first copy and 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 bought it again. But uh, yeah, just great, like utterly unlike anything else, really. Yeah, it's the comedy sketches that are woven into it, and the yeah, the, the game show concept, and yeah, the approach to to, to hip hop via the, using humor as part of the tool of the. You know, it's not just this is hip hop because it is sampling or it is yeah. uh, the black voice or whatever. It's also yeah. got this humor is one of the big tools they use to make that album, which is one of the things that Della Soul just do so really amazing, well compared yeah. to so many other people. Also, the breadth of stuff that they sample from to to make that is is incredible. It just makes for such a fascinating listen. Just kind of yeah, yeah. As well as the the kind of classic R and B samples that you always get, you've got bits of steely dan and hall and oats but then like french language instruction tapes and mm-hmm. god knows what the turtles all just cropping up it's it, it's it's amazing yeah that's an excellent album okay steve-o hit us with your f- film and album well yeah there's quite a lot of spoiled for choice on the films really but definitely I, I, yeah as much as i like oliver reed uh... <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't yeah I, well, we have mentioned it, and perhaps I should go for something else. But I think I'm going to go for Uncle Book because what's what's a great film, and I've yeah. seen I have seen that many, 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 many times. And yeah, it's, it's, a, all, it's a proper worth... complete film in itself. It's really yeah, it's, such... it, it is indeed a John Candy tour de force. Oh, I yeah. would say yes. So that that would be my movie. And then yeah, you see, I was quite top this quite a lot for for albums of like fairly crap kind of like hard rock metal output in 1989 now you, oh, you could be a, you could be a bit perverse and go for one of those <laughs> well no well, I'll keep me powder dry on some of those but I think I think what I'll go for I think I shall go for freedom by Neil Young which oh. uh, we've not got to mention him very often on this. I don't think we did the uh, album picks when he was releasing uh, anything, writing home about. 
think since we started, he's mainly been doing his odd eighties period, hasn't he? Although I, I think Trans is definitely a masterpiece out of that era, but. Yeah, indeed, freedom is a, a roaring return to form, isn't it? it? It is indeed, and it's got a bit of something for um, for everybody on there, whether you like his kind of noisy mayhem or his more uh, subtler stuff. So yes, I will go freedom uh, by Neil Young, definitely worth a listen. And uh, thinking about it, I have not listened to that album for absolutely yonks. So I might, Nor have um, I. I stick it um, indeed, indeed. Well, there we go then, yeah. Well, that's something to put on uh, really loud later. <laughs> right, so it comes to my picks then, and I didn't have much trouble with 1989 as a year for choosing things because 1989 is the year that the film UHF comes out. <laughs> the Weird Al Yankovic movie. Tremendous. Which, if anyone would like to, I am on an episode of Betamax Video Club discussing this film, um, which came out earlier this year, back in January, I think, uh, which is basically me just going, oh, I love it, oh, I love this film, oh, it's great. And it is. I, it I is. regularly rewatch UHF. It's it's just it's just Weird Al being brilliant, and it's a great silly film. It's I can't recommend it enough for fun. <laughs> and the album I will pick is, funnily enough, a Paul McCartney album. Hey. So Paul McCartney's nineteen eighties is an interesting time because it starts out with a couple of really really great albums. Then in the mid eighties. <sighs> it tails off and gets quite poor. And then he has a little bit of a break and then he comes back with Flowers in the Dirt. And I think this is the first album I bought or requested to buy with what little money I had, pocket money-wise, I was given, that I went in, I want that album. I bought it on tape. And it's, yeah, it's it's got a lot of collaboration with uh, Elvis Costello songwriting Mm -hmm. on it. I mean, production-wise, it was a bit of a funny one to listen to for a while because it was very 1989. A lot of Trevor Horn production yeah. and things on there. But it's got some astonishing songs on it, some really, really good yeah. like uh, singles on there as well and things like Put It There, which is just a beautiful little song. So for me, it's Paul McCartney's Flowers in the Dirt, which I managed to resist buying the something like £225 reissue box set that came <laughs> out <laughs> not long ago, uh, last year, in fact. <laughs> much as I would have wanted it. So there we are. There's there's things for anyone who wishes to dip back into the world of 1989 to look up, watch, or listen. So that's mm. nice, isn't it? Anyway, it is. there for everyone. It really is. It is indeed. And we move on next year to, uh, well, we move on in the next episode to the next year, which is 1990, when we come back with the book Vespers. But until then, I hope everyone is keeping safe and well and sane and and all right. And if you can hear my voice breaking up from where my uh, tonsils have been tickled by a COVID test. And so I better stop talking now. So I'm going to say goodbye. Steve-o? Goodbye. Morgan. And fare thee well. <laughs>